This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold Two Tattoo Studios. The studio is owned and operated by Brian Bell, who is just a fantastic artist and tattooist. The studio will be open in Hamilton in the coming weeks. So if you are at all interested in getting any artwork done or going ahead with a tattoo, please check out uh, Brian's work on Instagram and social media. So please search for Hold Two Tattoo Studios. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining me. I'm uh, my pleasure. I'm actually super excited about this. Really excited, actually. I hope it lives up to the hype. No, it will do. I mean, <laughs> it, uh, it can't it can't help. But uh, you are an associate editor editor with Ring Magazine, which, right. as I said to you uh, when we spoke in the telephone, is is has just this it's got this magical place in my sort of teenage. Well, actually, for Teenager all the way through, sort of. In fact, maybe I'm going back a bit too far there, but over the last good number of years, anyway, it's just been. Uh, I, th- I think it's the most prestigious magazine, sports-wise, in the world. Uh, and, and you're an associate editor with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I've wrote some stuff down. Uh, okay. Which I'd like to cover, all of which I'm. <laughs> I'm totally, uh, totally excited about this one, as you can probably tell. Uh, <laughs> you were at a, a certain world champions abode last week, doing a yep. little presentation. Is that probably a good place to start? Yes, um, Tyson had uh, Tyson Fury had beaten uh, Deontay Wilder in February, um, and the Ring Magazine, the vacant Ring Magazine Heavyweight Championship, was on the line. Ironically enough, um, Tyson was the last fighter to hold it, um, but he'd been stripped of it for inactivity um, after the Klitschko fight. So this was the first time it went on the line again, and again he was involved in the fight. So it was him against Wilder. The title was vacant. He won it, obviously, in emphatic fashion, won the fight. Um, But shortly thereafter, COVID uh, started. So that delayed the whole process of... Um, getting the belt, you know, engraved and getting it all made up because it's got all like his information, all his like details on it, like yep. his name, the division, obviously, the the fight that he won, the result, the, the the venue, and all that stuff. That all has to get done. And usually it would have been in in about maybe eight weeks or so. Uh-huh. Um, but because of COVID, it took a lot longer to get done. And I'd had the belt for a bit of time. I wanted to do something. Um, look big, we, we'd, we'd presented them the belt before and the whole media was in attendance. Yeah. But the way things are in the world just now, Kareem, I, I just felt, you know, I want to have the belt before he has another fight and I just decided yeah. it was best to take it to him. Fantastic. <clears throat> it's, you know, it's, it's, for, for anybody listening who doesn't have uh, necessarily a... I think there's a lot of people who are interested in boxing... Uh, as you would call them, sort of arm chair fans, and I don't think I'd, I'd never ever think there's anything anything wrong with that. Uh, mm. And and but it's one of these sports that sort of transcends things. Uh, but the Ring Magazine belt, just to focus on a wee bit. Yeah. Obviously, there's the different uh, governing bodies, and they they all have belts that are available for for to, for the fighters to win. 
Yes. Then you have a magazine, and I think this goes back to <clears> how <throat> special a production you actually work for, uh, who produced the belt. And would I be right in saying, I believe it is, but would I be right in saying that fighters would, 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 would rather or, or hold that belt in more prestige mm. than some of the association belts or governing body belts? Is that is that right? Uh, um, well, it depends. It depends on the fighter, but set to, certainly to your point. I mean, I've heard fighters say that specifically. Tyson Fury was one of them, um, but there's been there's been a bunch of fighters. I know that Katie Taylor, who um, uh, has is undisputed at, at lightweight, um, it's Katie's favorite belt. But there's yeah. been numerous fighters down the years that um, they basically. Kareem, it's classified. If you've got that, if you've got that belt in your division, you're the best of the best, yeah. which isn't always the case. Well, you know, with with respect to the governing bodies, it's not always the case that if you hold a governing body title, that you're definitely the best fighter in the division. Which comes down to another problem of there simply being too many belts available yeah. to get, and that's 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 where the, the difficulty lies. Uh, right. So, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk quite a bit, hopefully, about about the magazine uh yep. but just coming back to to yourself to, to sort of kick off uh mm -hmm. how does one become an associate editor with ring magazine so as i say i mean with the people that you've met and covered and interviewed and mm -hmm. have sort of relationships with now throughout the sport uh i i, I guess we'll get to that but i'm really interested in, in you as well in in your story so yeah how, how did how did that position a dream position, I would imagine. How did that come to be? Uh, well, I'd, um, I was actually, my first love was martial arts. That's, yep. that's what I, uh, I love to do. I, I did Kung Fu, or Laogar Kung Fu for many years and, and competed in like uh, semi-contact and full contact and a bunch of stuff. And I was a Bruce Lee super freak, yep. um, like my boy is now. Yep. And um, basically, if you read a lot of Bruce Lee's writings, he would continuously reference Muhammad Ali Yep. Um, and even though I wasn't into boxing at the time, I obviously knew who Muhammad Ali was, but I would read this and I would see it. And then by coincidence, around this time, a friend of mine brought a, a documentary to my house called Champions Forever, mm -hmm. which was Ali, Joe Frazier, Ken Norton, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, this documentary. And just on the basis of that, that one documentary, I fell in love with Ali. Um, and then I was an Ali fan, mm -hmm. and then I was a Sugar Ray Leonard fan. And then before you know it, because you've got so much interest in it, you just become immersed in, in boxing. Um, I covered small hall for a local newspaper um, when I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. Um, and the internet then was in its infancy. And even though you could, I could get writing for websites, I could get writing for websites, but I didn't. I didn't do the right things. I was I was more interested in offering opinion pieces. And an opinion piece, even now on the web, that there are a dozen to the dollar. Yeah. And just slowly I grew out of it. Um, or you know, I drifted away from it and and started doing the the, the things that uh, guys in their mid mid twenties do back then. And um I ended up in like jobs like in offices and call centers and stuff. And I was very discontent. Yeah. Um and I started writing again. Um Colin and I, my wife was my girlfriend at the time, we were in Las Vegas, and we ran into Adam Smith, um, who went on to be head of boxing for Sky, yep, yep. Jim Watt, who's former lightweight champion of the world, yep. and Jeff Powell, and we just had a conversation, we were over for Mayweather and Mosley, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, at the time, and we had a, 
a chat about the fight and then we're talking about Jim's career and Adam Smith said to me, do you do anything with your knowledge in the sport? And I said, I used to do some writing, but I've drifted away from it. And he said, you should start again. Mm-hmm. And he never waxed lyrical about it, but something about it resonated. And I got back in, that was 2010. I started writing for some websites. I covered Small Hall around Glasgow, Edinburgh. I covered some really, really good young fighters in, in, in Scotland, like Stephen Simmons, uh, young Mick Roberts, John Fain, David Brophy. Cut my teeth doing that kind of thing. Because you need to start, you know, at the grassroots of it. But through that time, you're always building contacts and stuff. Um, and then I, I get an interview with Bernard Hopkins, um, who at the time had just became the oldest man in history to win a, a championship when he beat Jean Pascal. And I got him, I got Hopkins, who, you know, I idolise Hopkins, one of my favourite fighters, a, a brilliant technician. Yeah. And I got him over Twitter. I just asked him on Twitter. It wasn't on a direct message. I just said, I'd, I'd love to interview you. And he came back, told me to go to his publicist which I did. And that story ended up going in the front page of Boxing News, which I didn't expect. Yeah. I didn't expect that. Um, but that gave me a bit of clout because if you're going from there to anywhere else and they say, well, what have you done? And you say, well, bang, there's a Bernard Hopkins cover story. Yeah. You know, that's going to get appreciated. Uh, then I got a story with a, a magazine called Fighting Fit. Ricky Burns is, is a, a good friend of mine. He was training under Billy Nelson at the time um, up around Moss End. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm sorry, he was at uh, Steps at, at, this, at this point. And Ricky was world champion. And um, he switched from 130 or, or um, junior lightweight, was moving up to lightweight. And there was this magazine called Fighting Fit that focused on an, what an athlete does. Yeah. You know, and I felt with Ricky moving up in weight, we discussed the fact he was going to start adding a, a little bit of muscle, he was going to fill out, his diet had changed. I felt as if he'd be a, a brilliant subject for Fighting Fit magazine, which was like a kind of sister publication of boxing news right um and that we got i got a huge story in there about 12 pages was front cover it looked fantastic and from there i moved to ring as a as a contributor at first i mean i've been writing for ring now for about eight years so you know i just moved in as a kind of uk like a uk contributor and that was the start of it wow (laughs) it's the just actually when you mentioned ricky burns one of the most underappreciated World champions. Uh, it's uh, one of the only three-time world champions as well. That be right. He is the only um, three-time champion from Scotland, three-three weight division champion from Scotland. Um, total. I'll need to get my brain going on this. Duke in the UK. Duke McKenzie is one. And I am blanking on the other one, and I'm not going to forgive myself for that. Not at all. No, it'll come. It'll come to me during this conversation. Duke McKenzie, Ricky Burns, and there's somebody else. And I'm oh, Bob Fitzsimmons. Well done, Bob Fitzsimmons. Yeah. And he he fought in like the, the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, I'm glad you got that because you'd be through halfway. Through. <laughs> That'd have been bad. No, no, you'd be halfway through another story later on, and then just <laughs> jump out, jump out uh, with this name. Uh, yeah. Okay, amazing. So. We've talked with, again, people that, are, that have been regular listeners to the podcast, which is, which is still in its infancy, to be honest. Uh, I keep describing the purpose of the podcast and people will be hopefully not fed up, but they've heard it before. We, we called it the Marshall Focus podcast because uh, that, that kind of resonated eventually, that the Marshall would be the, the sort of physical speaking to martial artists and, and boxing writers like yourself and, and just the actual physical part. and then. The focus part would be on 
uh, mindfulness and, and meditation and yoga, and we've, we've covered a lot on mental health and illness as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where the title of the podcast came from. Okay. Very quickly, going back to Tyson Fury, he covers that whole sort of subject perfectly. And when I was watching the video, which hopefully you'll let us uh, share when we when we launch this uh, uh, this episode, watching the video, you, you mentioned to, to to Tyson that it was the you thought it was the biggest and best sort of comeback ever. And mm-hmm. I think I, I would find it really hard to disagree with that. Yep. Can you talk a wee bit just about, not just to how much a wonderful boxer Tyson Fury is, which I've been saying for as long as I can remember, but just mm-hmm. how special his achievement of coming back through that was? Well, I mean, where he, where he ended up physically um, after, um, you know, the wheels just completely fell off post Klitschko and there was a lot of there was a lot of negativity surrounding him there was a, there was a failed drug test which I don't think we shouldn't we can ignore on performance enhancing drugs that, that ended up that ended up getting resolved with um, the, the United Kingdom uh, doping or uh, doping agency um, but he had that he ballooned up in weight yeah. and when you're talking it's not like us putting on a stone over Christmas he he went up to the best part of 400 pounds yeah. um, and his mental health um, fell apart through that period. And interestingly, when I met him to present the belt the first time around, which is five years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, he wasn't, he wasn't in a good place then. Mm-hmm. And he had the world at his feet. And he, he basically told the writers around the table that you know, he, he wasn't in a good place. And I can, rem- I can remember being kind of intrigued by it. I didn't go into it, that's not what we were there for. But I, I felt as if the other, a lot of the other writers took it very lightly, but I didn't. I mean, when you're top of the world like that, um, it rang some alarm bells. So when his career started to decline around that point, I wasn't surprised um, on the basis of what he had said. Um, but, you know, his mental health floundered. His physical health floundered. The one Stephen Grace was, he was still a young man. Yeah. Um, and he's also... Challenge. You can put Tyson in with a 10-to-1 underdog and he will fight based, he'll fight up to the level of the opposition. Yeah. But when you turn around and tell him uh, when he's 400 pounds, his mental health shot to bits and, and he's got a bad reputation at the time. When you turn around and tell him you're finished, you've got no way back, you light a fire under him. And that's essentially what happened. His main thing, I think after he beat Klitschko, he'd, he'd reached such a peak that anything else he did was, was coming back down the way. Yeah. So he, he hit such a low ebb get told by everyone his career was finished and that motivated him to come back. And in doing so, he became such an inspiration to people that think that there's no way out, that think that they're, they're, they're beat, you know, mentally, there's no way to turn, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing, their, their, their life purpose is, is kind of useless. He basically gave hope and strength to, to a lot of people by, by doing that. And he's been a, a tremendous advocate for mental health, I believe. It was, uh, I listened to him, he'd done a fantastic interview on, I mean, okay, cards on the table. I, and I've spoken about this before, about just myself and my own opinions being sort of very black and white previously. And the podcast is, see when you're writing stuff on social media and stuff, it can be, again, as it's usually just black and white, and sometimes people can construe it the wrong way and and et cetera, et cetera. 
But I was very much, and I and I, I actually went back and posted again. Like, listen, I was I was totally wrong about this guy. Uh, I remember when he, he was going through sort of difficult times, and just let's just say, wasn't he coming across as a particularly good guy as well? No, you're right. And, and I was like, nah, this guy's not what boxing should be, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I actually then posted further down the line a number of times of just how. How he had turned it around and how actually inspiring he was. Uh, yes, he was on. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he was. He was. He gave a brilliant interview, and he was talking about. And again, I'm quoting him here, so it's it's, it's not anything that hasn't hasn't already uh, been out there in the public. But just driving along, and I think he said he was in his Ferrari at the time, and literally just driving towards a bridge, thinking about, I'm going to find it. Yeah, yeah. So being in such a mental sort of dark place. Uh, to then starting to go jogging. And again, this is probably stuff that, that many sort of fighters and boxers have went through, but just trying to restart again. And he said he literally couldn't run the length of him type thing. Yeah. And he was flicking through his phone and he was on Instagram. And I think it had been Wilder who'd made a, a sort of video or past comment about how, I can't remember whether he was talking about, what Wilder had said something about, I would, I would whip a, uh, Mike Tyson, or whether he was talking about uh, Mike Tyson and Tyson Fury, and it kind of just made Tyson Fury think, ah, well, you know, type thing. And, yeah, light, light bulb. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. And then and then, went, then it went on. Right, so, yeah, getting back to yourself and uh, the, the career that you've obviously built with Ring Magazine, can you, again, it'll probably be difficult for you to pick just a few examples, but if you can mm. try, that would be good. It, it just sort of special moments you've had. Uh, and again, maybe not even relating to, to the fighters as such, but just in your career and where it's taking you in the world and, and, and the special things that you've covered. Um, the special things that I've, I've done through Ring Magazine specifically, like I'd, I'd referenced um, Sugar Ray Leonard, who I think has got an argument as being uh, the finest pound-for-pound fighter that's ever lived. But um, he was... Um, he was doing a like a dinner, uh, one of these dinner gigs, like an after dinner show type uh-huh. thing, and, and Motherwell. And what I would do, in fact, not Motherwell, the Dakota. I don't know if that comes under Motherwell or Hamilton, but um, mm. um, he was doing one of these. And what I would do is contact the organisers if I found out that one of these was going on, and look for an inroad towards perhaps securing an interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's worked. It's worked several times. Worked with Ray, and um, he was he was coming to Motherwell. I don't know whether his he's, he's body clock was still, was still off. He lives out in LA. And, um, but I got asked to come to interview him at half six in the morning. And mm-hmm. the organiser was saying, would you be available at that time? And I said, look, I'll be available at two in the morning. I don't care. <laughs> I'll be yeah. there. Yeah. So, you know, I'd interviewed Ray. And I'd said to you that I was, um, I was a Bruce Lee freak. Still am. And yeah. um, I'd get really rare footage of Bruce Lee, like uh, outtakes from Game of Death. And Leonard's a massive massive Bruce Lee fan uh-huh. so I popped these outtakes on a disc and I walked in and I gave him it and he was like so appreciative right and this is like before the interview and just yeah. to meet him he's like a god to me I'd actually met him before uh, like just a handshake and away we go um yeah. but giving him like an idol like stuff of my idol to another idol just felt the most surreal experience like like in the world yeah and I've interviewed him I've interviewed him several times now but it never gets 
it never gets old. Like, like he's he's when I speak to him, like the, the buzz from it is just the same as it was when. I, in fact, I'd interviewed Ray before I, I started with with Ring Magazine. I'd got I can't remember how I got to him, but I did. Yeah. Um, but meeting him face to face and uh, and doing that. But um, you know, I've interviewed. I've been so lucky. Like I, I've had Roberto Duran interviewed him in Ham, at Hamilton Racecourse, one of the best fighters that's that's ever lived. Yeah. Gave him a bottle. Of, he likes a drink, so I gave him a, a bottle of single. <laughs> I bought a single malt, and uh, you know, and it had the kilt on the whole bit. And um, I interviewed Larry Holmes, who's my second favourite heavyweight of, of all time. Uh, I'll tell you a funny one though. Um, I had it was coming up on an anniversary of one of George Foreman's fights, and I'd got hold of his number, and um, I phoned him. Stays in Texas, and I don't get an answer. And I was training at the time, so I went to bed really early to get up in the morning, and. Uh, Pauline was getting, we just had Jacob at the time, he's just a baby. So it's probably, she's just getting down, it's probably like the back of 11 at night. Yep. And the house phone starts ringing and Pauline like goes off her head, like, who the hell is that? I just got Jacob <laughs> in the head, right? I know where this is going, right? Who the hell is this, right? She answered the phone like pure stern, like she was going to war. And it was, uh, hi, it's George Foreman. And um, Pauline like came in like chalk white put my light on and uh, she's like just it's George Foreman for you but she was mortified because she literally had answered the phone like she was going to war but no I've interviewed so many great fighters like even even right up until now guys that I've been looking for great champions I've been looking for um I'm still getting them I interviewed Mike Tyson twice in the space of six weeks I've interviewed Lennox Lewis um tons of them like I could I could go on and on and on just to put a wee asterisk in there uh, beside Pauline, and that makes it even more funny. Uh, <laughs> just for people uh, sort of listening, uh, Tom's wife, uh, Pauline, and Andy's wee boy, Jacob, uh, are students at the, the Taekwondo school that we run. But she is the most polite and respectful person uh, yeah. that you would ever you would ever meet. Uh, she has her moments, kidding. Well... <laughs> I'm, her, I'm her instructor and her friend <laughs> you're her husband yeah. you'll know yeah. better but uh, just that, that that is funny because she's, she would be absolutely absolutely mortified that was good stuff that the, was good stuff you're talking about sort of Sugar Ray Leonard and, and these Roberto Duran it's people who boxing seems to be a sport where there's more characters that and, and again that's something that, that people talk about that transcend the sport yeah that become uh, my, my my own wife Tracy and I went to the the sort of meet and greet with, with Floyd Mayweather just before the the lockdown and again it was it, it was what it was. it was it was a good enough event but the fact to actually sort of meet the man and, and get a photograph was was a, a brilliant experience but you don't have to be a boxing fan to know who Floyd Mayweather is that's right uh, yeah. possibly for good and bad reasons uh, yeah that's people, true. You could say to, to most, I mean, certainly with Ali, I mean, there must be a stage in history where Ali was the, the most famous person literally in the world. Yep. Uh, my dad, who, who's Tunisian and sort of grew up there, obviously, he, he, he used to tell stories about, like, literally him and, and, and his friends huddled around, like, the smallest of TV to watch, like, an Ali fight, which yeah. might have been in the middle of the night or... And this isn't just in a small North African country. Yeah, it's a sport that definitely transcends its its own audience. And for, it for does. Me, like, Ali, Ali for me is uh, 
like that's the first fighter that like I really became, you know, obsessed with. Yeah. Like, uh, I, and I was lucky enough. I met him in Glasgow in 1994. And this was I was only 19 then. I've got full head of hair, which is a, a miracle. But um, he's obviously he's obviously sick. Um, but by then, and it's funny because I, I'd I'd come out the train station at Central, and he was doing like a book signing at Waterstones. And I turned the corner like right at Waterstones and, and there was a queue of maybe 40 people at the front. And I'm like, oh, that's not bad. And then what I'd forgot was that Waterstones is on the corner. When I turned the corner, the queue was like uh, literally like three quarters of a mile down the street. Yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, I, I need to stay. Like, I, need to, I need to stay. And I think that was like 10 in the morning. And uh, I met him about half four or five o'clock in the, in the afternoon. It's, it's so funny how you remember things. And... Uh... We, we, we teach a class. Ali actually passed away on a Friday or Friday going into the Saturday morning. Saturday, that's right. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy how you remember things and just how people, how people sort of touch your life. Uh, we teach a class on a Saturday morning, uh, which, is, which is in a, a local Thai boxing gym and it's a, a bag work class and really high tempo and everybody's usually, we put the music up and it's a great class. Uh, and I remember a couple, this is strange, I remember a couple of people texting, texting me because they knew just how much, I guess, of a fan or just how inspirational Ali had been. And I remember people texting me to apologise that they mm. hadn't made the class, uh, <clears throat> just as people would usually would do. And, and, and both of the people that texted me said, uh, like, I, I, I bet you were kind of, I bet you, you, you were not excited to, obviously a terrible word, I bet you were G'd up and you'd done a really good class because of how much he'd inspired you. And I actually mm. got the other way. And I remember this class as if it was yesterday. Uh, going in to teach the Saturday morning class at eight o'clock in the morning, having just heard Ali had passed away. And yeah. it, was, it was the worst class I've ever taught in my life. And I remember right. it. I know, and how someone who I've never met, <clears throat> unfortunately, and had retired pretty much by the time I was born. Yeah. Had just still inspired me to such a position that it had put me in such a, a state of mind. A downer. No, I mean, I, to, to be honest, because I was, I was writing for Ring at the time, right? And my, my boss at the time, Michael Rosenthal, you get tipped off at, at times, like if, if something's due to happen. Yeah. And to be quite honest, we'd been tipped off more than once that, that Ali was, was, was getting ready to pass. Um, but this time... Um, I was going out, Pauline and I were going out for dinner. I don't think we'd been out in like a couple of years. <laughs> we're going to Corinthian in Glasgow and, and my boss phoned and said, look, might be nothing but Ali's poorly. And, um, and I, I didn't really believe it. I was on the way to the train station and I was on the train and it's like, no, this could be worse. The family's been called in. Um, and I was feeling horrible um, because I kind of knew it was coming. And then by the time I'd get into the actual restaurant, um, it was getting really bad and it was all over social media that um, they that, that wasn't going to make it. And I'm sitting in the restaurant in tears and I, that's how bad it was for me. I, I, I don't have any shame in saying that. It'd been such an amazing influence to me. Mm. Um, I mean, I, if, you, if you cut it all the way back based on the fact that's the first boxer I ever followed, if I didn't, I might not be in the position that I'm in today. And there's, there's a lot of people that would tell you the same kind of thing, even yeah. boxers that have been motivated by him so no I can totally identify with the emotional side of it and then I had to wake up the next day and and and, and start working and I had to proof a, a special edition on him 
and I had to start working through it. And, and all I wanted to do was sit and watch a bunch of his fights or a bunch of interviews or a bunch of documentaries, but it was like about a week or so uh, before I could get around to doing that. I did a radio interview the next day and barely get through it. So I can totally identify with, uh, it was a loss to, to everyone, I think. It was a heavy loss. I, I said this a number of times, and, and someone like yourself who's, who's much more qualified than I'll ever be, let, let me run this by you. Would, would you, I think, and, and you might agree or, 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 or sort of disagree, I think that just how skillful a boxer Muhammad Ali was is lost mm -hmm. in a way because of the fame that he had. Uh, I, I sometimes think that. And again, maybe it's just because I'm looking at it from a more, maybe sort of actual boxing fan or, or from a technical point of view, that, that people forget, even though they say, oh, he was the greatest, and uh, obviously there's con some conjecture about that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but do, do you, again, being in circles where you're actually mixing with boxers and boxing writers, etc., do you think, I think he was actually better, now I know that sounds silly, than what, we actually give him credit for because people follow just the, the aura of Muhammad Ali rather than Muhammad yep. Ali the boxer. Um, I think he's the best fighter um, or boxer probably is the best way to put it that I've ever seen and, and, and he, that's layered though. I don't think he's the most talented fighter I've ever seen. I think that Roy Jones Jr. is the most talented fighter I've ever seen at, his, at the prime of his life, prime of his career. Yeah. But there's more to it um, than that. Like with Ali, it was things like, you know, a three-year layoff when he had been, in terms of, in heavyweight terms, in terms of speed and reflexes, variety, the things that he would get away with defensively when he was a young man. When he came back after three years, he'd lost a touch of that yeah. and had to rely on durability and courage and heart, guts, intestinal fortitude. He was, he was amazing. Uh, you know, just had such the ability to 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 turn things around mid fight. The only great champions can do win fights that you should never win. Yeah. Um. You know, lose and come back to win, like he did against Frazier, like he did against Ken Norton. Yeah. All of that added up makes him, I think, the best fighter ever. It's not just down to how blazingly fast you can be with your hands, how much variety you've got. Can you throw every punch in the book? Have you got this, you know, startling? Are you good on the eye? It comes down to more than that. Just the total package of them, I think, makes them uh, the greatest fighter ever, in my opinion. Again, the, looking at the Rumble in the Jungle, it's, I mean, I, I still, I think people look at that and, and, and are obviously and rightfully impressed, but... That's another example of right. Okay, everybody. I know you're impressed, but I don't think I don't think you're impressed enough by this. No, no. As to um, people forget where Foreman was at the time, and, and yeah. Oh, yep. I mean, and to come back at Ali's age to to actually pull that off, it, it is stuff like a movie. It really, really is. I mean, it, it's like it, there's there's a certain mystical. It's mystical almost those kind of fights, and you you very, you very rarely get anything like it. I mean, Foreman at the time was 40-0 with 37 knockouts. Now, yeah. even someone that doesn't know anything about boxing, that's going to sound impressive. But, you know, you're talking about an unbeaten former Olympic champion. He smoked Joe Frazier in two rounds, no pun intended. Um, he smoked Ken Norton in two rounds. Guys who have beaten Ali, given him hell, 
and that that was just an example of his um he, he old man forming a bit and it, it was a, a he's it was his improvisation. I think he'd moved. He moved in the first round. Saying yeah. I think I watched the fight about a thousand times. <laughs> but he uh, he moved on Foreman in round one, but the ring was getting smaller and he wasn't getting the space that he needed, and he was a lot more tired than he would he would want to be. And I'd seen that. To be honest, if you go back and look at Ali's sparring sessions before Foreman, going against the ropes and picking off punches and, and using this kind of radar like defense, where he's just picking shots off and catching them on on his elbows and stuff, he'd been doing that. For a, for a long time, probably ever since he's, he's come back in, in 1970. Um, but this was a time where he could really use it in a pro ring, small gloves against a Goliath. Yeah. Um, he knew what he was doing a bit more than people. I've heard people say that he didn't mean to do it and, and like he didn't know that he, he could do it. That, that's, that's not true. He, he, it was just another facet of his game that he could bring out that we hadn't seen. Um, the mistake he made and it's a tragic mistake, is he started doing that all the time. Mm-hmm. So impressed with his own genius that he started doing it in sparring when he didn't need to and started doing it against heavy hitters that he didn't need to. And yeah. also guys, quite honestly, with a bit more finesse than Foreman that could open up the rope of dope. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, you, if you go back and look at his last 10 fights, you know, he's taken a lot in those that, that he shouldn't have been doing. But in, in, if you take the Foreman fight out as a singular bout, it's arguably the greatest win in a boxing ring. It's got a couple of ones close to it, but it's it's arguably the greatest triumph in a boxing ring, I believe. When you mentioned, uh, I sort of, if you see me sort of scribbling away here on the screen, I, I, I take wee notes down. When you mentioned uh, uh, Roy Jones there, mm. what's your thoughts? Uh, what's your thoughts on the? I've always been quite passionate against even things like uh, the the sort of white collar boxing nights, and yeah. I, I, it's not for me. I, I'm not into guys getting in and, and training for eight weeks or whatever it is, and then getting into a sort of full contact. And I know they're meant to be controlled and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. That, that sort of demo type things. It's never been something that I've I've been into. Now I know I'm going to go and hopefully chat to you now about. Uh, Roy Jones and, and, and Tyson and this upcoming demonstration match and yeah. I know that I'm not I'm, I mean I'm talking about two of the, the greatest boxers ever I'm not talking about a couple of guys who who are doing a white collar event but it still sits with me that I'm uncomfortable that they're doing it mm-hmm. and as the expert what's your opinion on these sort of late late sort of comebacks or <clears throat> older yeah, comebacks yeah it's well it's an it's an exhibition. We're we're still we're doing a bit of reporting on it at the minute. I've not written any stories. Like I like I said, I'd spoken to Mike Tyson very recently, and my subject matters were his career and heavyweight history. Um, I'd been tipped off long before the Jones exhibition fight uh, was made official. I'd been tipped off. It was in the post, um, but I didn't ask any questions about it, and 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 I, and I didn't really want to. And and I, I kind of share the same view. Um, it does nothing for me. I, I was never big on on Floyd Mayweather in the Conor McGregor crossover match. In fact, I, I berated it um, yeah. at every opportunity, online, in the magazine, on radio, in a pub when someone asked me about it and gave Conor McGregor a chance of victory. So this one is different in that Floyd Mayweather at least was, was still fully functional at the time. Mike Tyson's not had a fight, professional fight since 2005. 
Jones 2018, but to be quite honest, Jones has been on steep decline since 2005. You're really talking about guys that have not been performing at any type of level for the best part of 20 years, if you're being yeah. honest. Um, but here's the, here's the other side of it. If they can do it, not hurt each other, and you know, you've got people on TV that pay some sort of pay-per-view for it and they make a couple of dollars and they're struggling at present, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if people want to buy that, it's up, it's up to them. Like I'd watched, just to harken back to Mayweather and McGregor, I'd watched every Floyd Mayweather fight. I'd either been live at the fight or watched it on TV, going all the way back to, I would say, 2006. Yeah. So when did they fight McGregor? 2017. And it's people were saying, you're buying it. As well. yep. 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 But I, I, I said, Kareem, I said, look, people are saying, oh, you're buying it, you're coming to watch it. And I said, no, I've got sleep to catch up on. I'm not going to give myself jet lag. To, to stay up to four or five in the morning when I know what's going to happen like I, and, I, and it's going to look embarrassing. The next day, I woke up and managed to get hold of it somehow, yeah. um, just, just out of curiosity, but I had no interest in it. Um, this would be the same because it's, I suppose the good thing is, <clears throat> excuse me, is that Tyson and Jones aren't pretending this is a professional fight. Right. They're talking bigger gloves, they're still arguing about headgear, um, and I, I, don't, I also heard that there might not be judges for it, from what I understand, and I was talking to Tyson at the weekend, Tyson Fury was offered that was offered that to, to, to move around with Mike Tyson. So I think all it is is an exhibition in its purest sense. Yeah. Um, would I be comfortable sitting down? After, if I was a pro and I spoke to Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson assured me that it wasn't going to open up, that it wasn't going to take a liberty, would I be fully comfortable once the bell goes that things are going to go to script? Not really, um, but you know, you just may hope they don't hurt each other. If they make a couple of bucks, fine. But it doesn't. It's not something I'm going to be in a rush to see. We. The thing is, I, I was. I'm, I'm trying. To, I just heard it yesterday as well, uh, and had, had paid a bit of attention to it. Being honest, because I knew I was chatting to you today as well, and wanted wanted to hear your opinion. But I believe that there's an agreement uh, that they won't even attempt to to knock each other out. That yep. Contact yep. be like that. now. I remember, and again, <laughs> this, this is something that I was much younger and, and a lot daft than I am now. I remember we thought it would be a good idea to have a, a team sparring event at one of our uh, yearly award evenings. And this was held at Motherwell Civic Centre. And if memory serves, that's how long ago it was. And this was a night where we were meant to be presenting awards to the kids and the the, the local uh, provost, etc., was all there. And this is just alluding to what you were talking about. It started off as tapping here and tapping there, and then somebody lands a heavy shot, and you think, yep. well, oh, there they've landed a second heavy shot. And before you know it, you, you, you end up not being able to trust yourself. Now, yep, if, you've got somebody, if you've got somebody in the ring, and I mean, you're talking about Roy Jones Jr. here, this guy can more than handle himself as well, but mm -hmm. if somebody like Tyson lets go, Roy Jones Jr. ain't going to stand there. And that's the bit that just, I think, oh, no, this end up being an absolute nightmare. I hear you. In the same, in the same token, like I, I did, uh, I used to love semi-contact, but how often have you seen semi-contact on the full contact and, and people getting, getting badly hurt? And it's usually down to exactly what you say. Someone takes a good one, and they need to get you back. The competitive juices start flowing, and you need to get a good hit back in. 
Um, and the other thing, to your point, is that Roy Jones's entire career, it's like there's a certain showboating aspect with the way Jones lets his hands go. He, he, lands, he lands shots from like angles that don't exist, and, and it's, it's like they look beautiful, and uh, the, the punches just flow so, so great. And, and if Tyson gets clipped with yeah. two or three, you could see the, the red mist descending. I think, I think both of them got on really, really well. Um, but again, I've still seen semi-contact on the full contact, even in these circumstances. So you just, you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And again, do you know the other wee thing, just for the last bit on this particular subject, uh, the, someone like Roy Jones Jr., who in his prime, I think, I don't know, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but just, I think you, you again, alluded to, you're talking about one of the greatest technical fighters in all, in all of boxing history here. And I think to myself, and again, his career has been, and again, I, I don't, I, I'm trying not to use such disrespectful terms, but it's, it's, it's not been going positively for the last number of years. And I think that's the bit that annoys me. I don't want to see these greats having to do this. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, he, like Jones, just going back to what you say, it, it was his athleticism and he had physical gifts and hand speed and just this amazing talent that I, I have and that was naturally gifted. I mean, when Sugar Ray Leonard says you're the most naturally gifted fighter that's, that, that he's seen, then you know that Roy Jones was special. Um, I won't be quite as, as, uh, as, I won't hold back on Jones. He's been on the hideous descent for like for years and years and years it's one of the, the steepest most horrible declines that i've ever seen in in a professional of that caliber and he just couldn't let it go and and that that was just down to his his ego you know there was there was times to step off where he would literally be regarded today as at top five top 10 best ever but people remember the, the the way down more than they remember the way up and he was Honestly, like I say, without exaggeration, the most talented prize fighter I have ever seen at one time. But they, they all come and they all go. And Jones's, Jones just took a, such a long time to step off. And this is an exhibition, so I'm not including this as part of his pro career, but yeah. his pro record should look better than what it does. He's already taken enough enough heavy shots. We, 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 again, it's, it's something that you'll, you'll know from actually being there so often and being... I think even being in, I, I remember the last time uh, we, my, my wife and I had got particularly good seats for the last uh, time that Ricky Burns fought in the Hydro. And yep. I, I remember him coming out as he would to Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. And uh, I, just being in that, being there as a, a spectator, never mind as a, as a writer like yourself, uh, I what an atmosphere! Mm-hmm. So then, then you think about how when that music's playing and and we're all screaming and the local lads going to the ring, how how he must feel as the fighter or any yep. fighter. They they chase that when they, when they they retire. It's the thing that they lose. They want that uh, that excitement. It's a buzz, it's a buzz for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I'm not, Ricky's. I, I know Ricky really really well. The, the, the difference with him is that he absolutely, and I, I, I don't use the term loosely at all, he loves boxing, loves it to, like, it's, it's, it's in his DNA. Um, and that's, 
I remember speaking to him when he was world champion. I think he was lightweight champion at the time. And Ricky, who was on the crest of a wave at that point, turned around to me and said, I'll box 100 fights if possible. I don't even mind getting back to British level. I do not care. I'll fight eight rounders. I have never heard another fighter say that. Uh, Ricky's, I mean, when you say to him, he'll say he loves the training. He loves the, he loves like, he loves the, the actual combat. He loves the the walk-in that you were referring to with the music playing in the crowd and all that. But deep in, deep in his heart, he's 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 got such a, an incredible passion for the sport. I've never I've never met anyone from any other part of the world that, that, that can that can match it. If anything, I've talked to fighters that I'll not name them, but I, I've talked to fighters that are basically looking to make their mark in in, in the cake. Uh, and Ricky is as far away from that as you could imagine. Yeah. How, how's this, again, how, we're, we're kind of going through this. I know that they're just starting to hold events uh, again and all the fighters are getting tested and the UFC have been sort of carrying on uh, with mixed martial arts during this. Yep. Uh, there's so many, I mean, just looking at the, the sort of armchair fan fights again that I mentioned at the beginning, hopefully, hopefully one day we'll get Joshua Tyson uh, or Joshua Fury, I should say, to save confusion. Uh, hopefully we won't get a Joshua Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll get an Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury fight. Uh, yeah. And that's just at the sort, of, the sort of heavyweight level, but all the way down, you've got super exciting fights that, that can mm-hmm. possibly be getting made. What's the next year or so of boxing going to look like? Well, I mean, I, probably better putting it... Uh, what I hope it looks like, just with, I mean, I mean, right now, even the fights that have been made in the States, I woke up this morning, there was another one cancelled because um, one of the fighters had, had COVID, yeah. uh, Stephen Fulton. And, um, you know, this is happening quite regularly. Top Rank have been doing shows in Las Vegas. There's fighters being pulled. Jamel Herring, who could get lined up with, with um, Carol Frampton later in the year, um, tested po- positive twice. So... And the thing is, America and certain states in America are like the epicenter for COVID at the minute. So they're trying to get fights made. Showtime just put a calendar out with um, Jermel and Jamal Charlo. I've got big fights coming up. There's some 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 great stuff. Uh, Javonta Davis is back out. Yeah. Um, it looks positive at the minute in terms of fights that I would I would love to see. Um, Terence Crawford and, and Errol Spence is, is the fight I think that um, yeah. you know most hardcore fans would would, would really love to see. Um, I'm a huge fan. I was out in Japan last year to watch Naoya Inoue um, and Manito Denea. Inoue is my favourite fight in world boxing at the minute, so uh, he could be back. Um, Canelo and Callum Smith was getting talked about. I know that Callum's particularly keen to get that fight off. Um, so, I mean, all the stars are there. It's, it's just like, it's the logistics of making these fights. Like, for example, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, can you imagine the gate for that? If, if and I'm only surmising, if they held it at Wembley, you're looking at a gate of about £15 million. Pounds. So, mm-hmm. but when are we going to be, be able to get, get a gate like that established? You know, COVID would need to be completely eradicated. Um, so, that's what's in the way, as, as it is in, in so many different facets of life. Uh, things things might change. I, I'll, I've got a couple of last sort of questions. Uh, I, I won't I won't keep you too long or too much. No, time. don't. You can have me as long as you as long as you need. The, the 
I, I remember when, when going back to that Joe Rogan interview that Tyson Fury done, and he was talking about he was planning on uh, fighting Klitschko again and yeah. had rolled his ankle while he was out running. So that rematch might have, again, history might have been different as far as uh, if he had the rematch had happened and maybe his mental health wouldn't have sort of kicked in as badly as it did. But he was alluding to the fact that some uh, one of the sort of princes or, or from the... the is Emirates, this about the boat? This is about the boat, yeah. So <laughs> you're talking about the two biggest heavyweight uh, as far as the... Not in size, but as in, in, in Tyson Fury is probably, but two of the, the most famous heavyweights at the time getting paid an astronomical amount of money to fight on a boat in Dubai or mm. whatever. So there is ways of having these fights, but they might not be as, as fan friendly as having people sitting in. Oh, that's a, a good that, that that's that's a good point actually that they could do something. They Again, fifteen million pounds, for example. I'm sure. I'm sure Josh's fight with Klitschko, the gate was eleven million pounds. Could be. It could be. It could be twenty million pounds for Joshua and, and, and Tyson Fury. It'd be such a hot ticket. But we would just. We would need to see. I mean, if the money can be there, and there's there's so much money in the Far East, the Middle East, that they could perhaps swing something that puts fans to one side. Listen, I would be happy to see it. I, I don't particularly care whether I'm there, not there. I, I think it's a fight. That, that needs to happen. But just to let you know, that I don't think Tyson would, would mind me telling you this story. So I was down seeing him on Saturday at his house and he said, um, uh, it's a really good job you've got. I'm like, oh, thanks very much. And he said, no, he said, the reason I say that is the government in Qatar have, have offered me a million pounds to go over and have lunch and you're eating lunch with me for free. I'm like, come on, Tyson. I say, I'm bringing you a belt. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it just show what I'm getting at there is it shows you the money that's kicking around for for fighters of that at that elite level yeah. when when a government is offering you a million pounds just to fly over, have lunch, and come back again. So, what what will they what will they give them? What will they give them for a fight? I I'm I'm really weak when it comes to uh, buying fights. I mean, when you talked earlier on about the. McGregor and Mayweather fight. Uh, there was talk at the time that yeah. this was you going to that, be... didn't you? Oh, of course I did. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my, my, my point is, I was kind of like, well, no, this is terrible for boxing. Uh, there's no way I'm buying this. And then three days later, I'm posting up on Facebook, right, guys, I've bought the fight. Whoever wants to come and watch it. Yeah. Uh, except, right, here's the point. If you can't fill a stadium... Uh, I'm I'm the sort of guy that would just be silly for a, if, if Anthony Joshua fights Tyson Fury, and for the record, not that it means anything coming for me, but Fury wins that fight. I believe uh, if the two of them were to fight in Sky or whoever it is comes out with a box office of eighty quid, hundred. <laughs> I'm the idiot. I would I would stupidly pay that. There's something yeah. else. Now, again, you, you can get all the results are coming through on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, round by round, but there's just... You want to see it live. Aye, there's just a magic about, about actually seeing it live. So who knows? But we won't be back in a, a stadium or, a, or a, a place like the Hydro or whatever for a good while, I would imagine. Yeah, we'll, I, know, we'll I, I think so. Well, 2020 is certainly a write-off. We, can just, we just need to hope and pray that... Um, 2021, we turn a, a big corner. Yeah. Uh, 
right, okay, I've got sort of a boxing fanboy <laughs> questions to, to finish with today. Okay. Uh, and again, you, you'll probably have some fun with these as well. Uh, pro okay, we'll, 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 we'll maybe, we'll make it a wee bit harder for you and, and, and go with just three so that the- Oh, is this, is this a quiz? No, it's not a quiz, no, no, right, no, okay. no, no. But again, like myself, you, I, you could probably list a million, but your top three greatest fights in boxing history. That's why I'm making it difficult because okay, million I've, I've, I've got you, I've got you right. Okay, so I'm going uh, number one. I'm going Eric Morales, Marco Antonio Barrera, the first fight. Yes, yeah. Uh, number two, I'm going Ali Frazier one. Okay, as well. Number three, um, this is harder. Hmm. Uh, see, you could ask me this question tomorrow and the results will be different, but yeah, I'm yeah. going to go for Holyfield Bow one. Okay. Were they in order? Were they in order? The first fit, the first one definitely was, like, like I've got all sorts going through my mind. I've got, um, I've got Diego uh, Corrales and Jose Luis Castillo going through my mind, Arturo Gatti, Mickey Ward going through oh, my mind. Oh, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. You know, I've got Leonard Hearns. Is, I, I could, Leonard Hearns is very, very, very high up. But I watched Holyfield Bow one recently and um it's spectacular but even even the little guys like um you know roman gonzalez no right chocolatito is the nickname and right, he was okay. he replaced uh mayweather as a pound for pound number one started out to yeah. like like flyweight and has come up through the divisions light flyweight maybe and um he's an amazing fighter but you get a chance to watch roman gonzalez versus juan francisco estrada um that is a, a sensational fight there's there's so many but so like i say i've not got a solid three but i'll give you those three and i'll be i'll be happy to give you them just now see there's the thing about people wanting to see uh and again it he, he, he seems to and, and probably rightly so he seems to come up in boxing conversations all the time but getting back to mayweather and again it's just been on social media having discussions with friends or whatever and i I could watch Floyd Mayweather box, and I'm specifically yep. not using the word fight, because people just want to see fights. I could watch Floyd Mayweather box all day, every day, and just be be amazed at the man's talent. Uh, I think people yep. want they want to see a scrap, don't they? Mostly they want to see, but for someone of that technical proficiency, it's just unbelievable. Right? Okay. Next. Fun question, and I'm going to allow you five of these, okay? All right. So, your top, <laughs> let's make it even more difficult. Uh, these have to be in order, right? Okay. Right. My podcast, my rules. <laughs> top, top five fighters of I knew all it was time in all divisions. <clears throat> um, so, this is pound for pound best ever, basically. But, yeah. um, right. I'm still. I'm still going to put Ali at number one okay. um, because I've been talking about him. Um, but I'll, I'll give you them in order just now, right? So um, Ali, Sugar Ray Robinson, um, Roberto Duran. In fact, switch that. 
I'll just annoy all the Duran fans. Put uh, Sugar Ray Leonard before Duran. Okay. Uh, Roberto Duran. Yeah. Drum roll for number five. I'm going to go. I'm tempted to say Henry Armstrong, but I'll. Uh, I'll, I'll. I'm going to go uh, with Pernell Whitaker. Oh, great choice. But like I say, there is no way someone asked me that question, I give them the same five. Like I just it's it's difficult because um if you're saying the best as well, right? Do you mean like skill wise or the resume? Because See, that's two totally different things. That that that's the thing. It's I think this went back to the conversation. Uh I fall in, and again, you're talk, like yourself, you're talking about Muhammad Ali as my all-time, not even just sporting hero, but probably just one of the sort of all-time heroes. Uh, but when the lists come out, again, like Ring, Ring have done this in the past, and all yep. the publications have done this, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people would put Ray Robinson before Ali on the list. Yeah, and, and listen, I was tempted to. I mean, there's other fighters as well. There's Armstrong who I referenced, right? Armstrong held the featherweight title, the lightweight title, and the welterweight title, right? Simultaneously, back at a time when there was eight divisions. Yeah. Right, now that's never been matched. So in terms of resume, he's he's up there. Usually, when I, it's usually like Robinson, then Armstrong, uh, Harry Greb. You would throw in there as well, who was a, a you know an amazing fighter. These are guys that had over a hundred a hundred fights, but we don't have the same amount of it. You, you don't have like you know Greb's entire professional career to reference. You've got yeah. tiny clips here and there, so very very difficult. You know Greb, but Greb was an amazing an amazing middleweight. So it it just really depends on on what you're looking for. Heavyweight in heavyweight terms, Joe Lewis, you know twenty five title defenses. Yeah an incredible fighter as well so you you've got like you've got five and you've got a possibility of finding like 50 like all-time genuine legitimate greats you can throw in there i mean I, when i'm saying pernil whitaker i just love pernil whitaker like i you know i think he's arguably regardless of of duran which is the the most common choice but i think that that whitaker is arguably the greatest lightweight that, that ever lived and is the best defensive fighter I've ever seen in my entire life. Yep. Might not float everyone's boat, but that's just how, that's what I think of him. See, just, it's actually just popped into my head there. Uh, how important was, and again, we've, 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 we're, we're in a time now, especially over the last few months, where the, the sort of Black Lives Matter uh, campaigning and stuff's been going on. And going back, I, I was, I read it a number of years ago, and I, I tried to read it again recently, and uh, I, I haven't managed to, to get to get back into it. But how important do you think was someone like Jack Johnson in boxing history? S certainly, in in his time, you know, if you've ever watched Ali, uh, look at Jack Johnson, watch films of him. Ali sits in awe, um, largely because of the time mm -hmm. that, that that he was around. I mean, that this is this is like like very, very close to, to slave slave times and, 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 and stuff like that. He was, um, he just believed in himself and had a level of confidence at the time that, that superseded anything before him. And it took a long time before anything would, could, could really match him. And that, that would be Ali. 
um, which was in alleys around what 40, 50 years after him yeah. um, in, in, in fighting terms. So yeah, extremely, extremely important. I mean, I, I've, I've read books on Johnson. He was um, a wonderful, I want, doesn't get enough credit. I mean, I, I could walk into a pub and reference Muhammad Ali and everyone knows who I'm talking about, or even George Foreman, although a lot of people will probably talk about the grill. But if you mention <laughs> Jack I'm sorry about my wife, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Jack Johnson, Jack Johnson at the end of the day, a lot of people won't really know who that is. Or even Joe Lewis. And you know what, what it comes down to is like Jack Johnson just sounds like the guy that came in to fix your boiler. Yeah. Joe Lewis sounds like the guy that would come in and like do your garden. And you mentioned Muhammad Ali yeah. as a and you know, it just it, it rings off so many bells. So yeah. it's just I think when you were talking about Ali and the rumble in the jungle and just overcoming that those odds for someone like Jack Johnson at the time and, and people I mean Ali talks about not being able to uh, coming back with his Olympic medal and not being able to go and sit yeah, Johnson was another level yeah. yeah another I mean 40 odd years behind that which makes it uh, 40 years worse I guess as far as uh, racism and dis- uh, discrimination and things go. Yeah, and he had, he, had, he, had three, he had three white wives at a time where yeah. talking to a, you know, a black man talking to a white woman could get him shot. Uh, you know, yeah. that, 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 that sums up. I, I was speaking to Mike Tyson about Jack Johnson uh, the, other, the other week. And what was it? He told a story. Uh, Tyson told me a story about Jack Johnson was in his car. And uh, he's, I'm paraphrasing this, but he's in his car and shouldn't be shouldn't be in this area and the policeman came up and gave him a ticket for say fifty dollars and the fifty dollars at this time tyson was saying would probably be like fifteen hundred dollars now yeah, yeah. so the policeman gives or gives him a ticket for say fifty dollars and johnson turned around and said there's a hundred dollars because i'm coming back the same way Keep the change <laughs> and it was brilliant like brilliant stuff yeah uh right okay last last question uh and again, stick with me here. This is one okay. of the ones. If there was, if and again, you, you, you can reference as, as as many as you like. Actually, uh, they'll all be interesting. What what fights would you have liked to have seen? If you could take fighters from, if you could have put Jack Johnson against oh. Tyson Fury, for example, or you could have put uh, any fighter from any era. What what fights would you? Would you make if you could make a fight? Um, I think anybody. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think the the one the one that, that I've got a few here because this is one I've thought about. But because um, we do Ring Magazine, we do like uh, covers like featuring mythical matchups. Yeah. Um, Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali has got to be very near the top simply because it's the one that. You start that in a pub and, and you can end up <laughs> actually in fights for real. Like, like yep. People are so convinced that like, their guy would win. And it's like a, an even split. I've always fancied Ali in the fight. Um, and ironically enough, I probably wouldn't take Ali in his prime. I'd probably take him round about the Foreman time where he, um, he had that durability, a bit more cunning experience. Um, and the thing with Ali is he can take a direct hit yep. as, as well as any heavyweight ever. Tyson, if you look at most of these fights, if he's not got you out there by the midway point around about that length of time, he starts to struggle. The intensity drops. He doesn't punch as often. And 
you know, Tyson has never never gotten off the floor, never really overcame major adversity in a fight to come back to win. Yeah. He never won a rematch in his entire career. He never got off the floor to win a fight. Yeah. All things that Ali did. So I think Ali takes him past the midway point and drowns him. Yeah. Um, another one that's good um, is Floyd Mayweather, who you were talking about. I get asked quite often, um, you know, Floyd Mayweather's got a lot of detractors. You'll get people out there that will pick any fighter in history, like, you know, going back decades, yep, yep. pick every single one of them to beat Floyd Mayweather. And the reason he'll do that is because he was never beaten in the ring. So yep. you, need, you need to, because he never get beaten in the ring, you need to build this defense mechanism where every old school fighter would beat him. Yep. I don't believe that. Me, I think, similar to, your, similar to yourself, he is one of the most, he is, let me put it this way, he is more, he is arguably the most sophisticated an advanced prize fighter that there's ever been in terms of his defense and his timing and his his technique is is perhaps is could be unrivaled and he's also I was I was at the Mosley fight where he nearly got his head punched into the crowd yep, and yep. at the end of that round he was coming back and winning that round after being buzzed twice by a punch from Mosley's caliber so he is brilliant but I, I believe that boxing comes down to styles. Mm-hmm. There's always a style out there that will give you nightmares. It was Ken Norton for Muhammad Ali. It was Juan Manuel Marquez for Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> if I have to pick Mayweather's stylistic nightmare, I'll put him in with Thomas Hearns. Okay. And the reason I'll put him in with Thomas Hearns, even though I think Leonard is the, a better fighter than Hearns, and he proved it when both were in their prime, yeah. Hearns has got a re- the reach of a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. His best punch, well, you could argue this, the most effective shot is the right hand, but the right hand is set up by a jab. Mayweather does not like a jab in front of him. Yeah. Um, particularly, when I say that, I mean, he, he can counter off the jab. He can pull counter off the jab. He can slip and hook. He can go to the body. He can do lo- lots of things. But very rarely in his career was he up against a jab of Hearns of, of that caliber. Hearns outboxed, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people forget this. Hearns outboxed Sugar Leonard. Leonard had to turn slugger. Yep. to beat Tommy Hearns. So I think that fight for Mayweather is, is the one I would always say I would, I would put Floyd in. I'd love to have seen how that played out. I wouldn't write Mayweather off, but I'd pick Hearns to win that. Okay. Uh, right, I promise you this is the last question, and I've only just thought about it. Uh, because of the sort of the, the Four Kings type era, and I've just mm-hmm. wrote down era, I, I write these wee words just to remind me of, of sort of subjects to to go to rather than have, have actual questions. Right. What was the best boxing era? If you had to pick, right, I want to, mm. I want to go back to be able to cover, like if you're covering an era or, mm. or maybe we're in it, maybe you're, 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 you're in the, the perfect era, but what would be the best boxing era? And obviously talking about the fighters that, that made that era. What one would you pick? You've already mentioned that I think the, the Four Kings is the one that stands out the most. We just, we actually did a, we devoted a whole magazine to it and I, I served as an executive editor for it. Um, and it, it was, the timing on it was good for us as a business because we, we, we just released it. We were just in the process of releasing it when COVID broke. Right. And it looked like our response to COVID was to get this magazine. It turned out to be a bit more of a coincidence, but it, it you know, it was it resonated with the fans. Fans absolutely loved it. It was none of this like you know, give us something new. It's just 
it's almost encrusted in gold that that era like between Leonard Duran Hagler and Hearns they fought nine times between them and you've got one fight in it one fight out of nine that, that was a disappointment which was the third fight between the last fight which was Leonard Duran three but all the rest are like built-in classics just absolutely classic fights the personalities were perfect I mean I, I spoke to you know Al Bernstein you know uh -huh. the name yeah yeah um, he covered he covered that era, and there's apparently the name escapes me, right? But there's apparently uh, like a bar, or there was, it's not there anymore. But there's a bar in Las Vegas, right? And Leonard, when he was in retirement, did some commentary, and Bernstein used to go into this, would go into this bar, and Hagler would have a corner of the bar with all his retinue. Hearns would have a corner, Leonard would have a corner, and Duran would have a corner. And I was sitting at like, the jealousy levels of that. And don't, don't get me wrong, if they're out for a, a couple of beers, you can't get out, you can't go up and, uh, and, and, and look for interviews. Yeah. Or maybe you could. I, I don't think you'd get much off a of Hagler um, from experience, but he, uh, but you know that kind of atmosphere in Vegas, most of those fights, I think, yeah, I, I can only think of two that weren't in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas house them all yeah. and that's the era that I would I would cover the fight I would I would have covered uh, the, the the one fight I'd like to have covered would have been the rumble in the jungle for obvious reasons yeah okay uh, the third fight Maybe more, more questions more questions I know do you know they're, 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 <laughs> they're coming uh, again this one's uh, I don't know if it's controversial or not but the, the third uh, the, third, the third fight with Janan and Leonard that you mentioned there was the no mass fight wasn't it and uh, no, that was the that second, second fight. one, right? Okay, that was the, second. the second fight was the no mass fight, so uh, no mass translating as no more, no more. And and again, here, here, yep. Kareem goes talking about he's describing one of the best boxers of all time. Uh, what's your thought on what actually happened that night? As far as I, I don't want to use the word, I'm going to use it because I've put myself in a hole now, but I don't want you need to use it. You need to use it. Quit. I, know I don't want to use the word quit. Mm -hmm. But from from your experience, sort of stance, what what happened that night? Well, it doesn't. It didn't just happen on the night. You need to go a bit further back than that. Like the first fight, right, was was a spectacular. Remember, I said how Ali Foreman um, is is arguably the greatest triumph in a, in a, in a prize ring. The, the other ones that, that come true to that or come close to that are Joe Frazier beating Ali in the first fight. Yep. And Roberto Duran beating Sugar Ray Leonard in the first fight to move up two weight divisions, you know. From I know he'd he'd toggled on the way up, but really his first massive, significant super fight at welterweight was Leonard. To win that fight is arguably the most spectacular triumph in a boxing ring. But in the time after that, Duran liked to party, you know, and I mean big time. Yeah. So you weigh in that weigh in for that fight at one forty-seven, rehydrate maybe up to one fifty-seven. By the time it hit, that fight was in the June, by the time it hits August and September, Duran's touching 200 pounds. That's how good the party is around his house. And it wasn't a party that lasted a night, it was a party that lasted a couple of months. Yeah, until so, the fight camp. <laughs> yeah, and I told you that I took him a bottle of whiskey when I met him, right? So you know what you're talking about here. He liked to party, win or lose. Yeah. And this was the greatest triumph of his career. And by that time, he'd had 70 plus fights. So, word on the grapevine, and what separates Ray Leonard from a lot of other fighters. Like, a lot of other fighters will, will maintain that they never sought out a particular advantage. Ray loves to do that. 
Ray loves to tell you, I heard he was nearly £200 and I wanted his signature on the contract, yeah. right? So he doesn't, he doesn't dispute. He, he knew that I think Leonard didn't really put on weight in his heyday. Maybe he was up to 155 from 147. So it, it was easy for Ray to get in good shape. He knew he made mistakes uh, that he could rectify in the second fight. Whereas when Duran signed for that fight, instead of worrying about his tactical approach, the only thing he could worry about was losing the weight. Yeah. So you look at even the body type that he carries into the ring. I'm, I'm not saying it looks bad, far from it. It still looks good, but it doesn't look like the same man that fought Leonard the first time. So then the fight starts and Leonard is, is outboxing him at distance, great distance control, using the jab. Duran can't get near him. And even when he does, I think, Duran basically couldn't get his shots off quick enough and Leonard was consistently beating him to the punch. And then Leonard timed the showboating stuff, the bolo punch, sticking his chin out, doing the alley shuffle, the whole bit. And I think it was a mixture of frustration, the fact that he was losing. I think he hit a downer in the fight. I think that he felt awful. Um, after I think after he'd weighed in, he ate a bunch of steaks and he, he drank orange juice and, and, and done all this stuff. Yeah and stuffed himself and didn't rehydrate properly. And I think he thought because Leonard was clowning and not, you know, getting down and dirty the way they had in the first fight, that he could quit this time and I'll, I'll catch you another day. Right. I don't think he quit out of fear. I think he quit out of frustration. Mm-hmm. And, th- and he underestimated the reaction that, the bo- that your average boxing fan and, and particularly the world would have um, for him turning his, turning his back on him, which he never should have done. It's the deepest regret. Of his career, when you make a, a choice like that, or, or do you know what popped into my head when you were talking there about the, the, the these two fighters being being in the ring? I think it it's further proof to just how special these people are, and and how much pressure they put themselves under, and, and what what limelight they're in. Um, yep. Sadly, what popped into my head when you were talking there was the 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 night that Oliver McCall kind of took the mm the mental breakdown for yep. one of one a better sort of term and the full world. See, even in a, in a they always talk about goalkeepers in a football match. Like if they make a mistake, it's obviously or a bad choice. It's always obvious because they're they're seen as separate to the the outfield players and the spotlights yep. on them. But for fighters, uh, and even going back to what you're talking about, like with you or I. In uh, sort of semi-contact tournaments, and people, this is about that frustrates me about purely armchair fans as well. That I, I, I've never actually been in a ring, but I've certainly been on a lot of matted areas, and 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 sort of competed from Scottish Championships all the way up to World Championships. And there is, there's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing like that pressure of standing across for somebody, and you have experience no. of that yourself but to do that yeah. in front of the world yeah it just it, it, it elevates even further my respect and admiration for any fighters whether it's boxing or mixed martial arts or, or traditional kung fu or taekwondo or, or, or whatever it is yeah uh, right so i think i think we've covered most of what most of what i'd wanted to to cover what what's sort of what's coming up for you now Hopefully, uh, we can maybe finish on a, a more positive note. What what you what you're looking forward to doing in, in your career, sort of moving forward over the next few while? Um, well, I, mean, I, don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have any uh, 
I don't have anything like like in the long term. Like at, at, at the minute, I'm working on a, a a Manny Pacquiao special edition of the magazine. I didn't interviewed Juan Manuel Marquez uh, last last week. Uh, get some great stuff from him. Um, I'm happy just excuse me doing doing what I'm doing. I I don't. Yeah, the, the thing about it is I've worked for Ring for the best part of ten years, and and I just. I love it as much now as I did then. There's been no, there's been no like, like come down off it whatsoever. I just I love what I do, so I, I I'm I'm not looking to to really do anything else. I'd be happy putting another forty years in and popping my clogs, you know, just like halfway through production of a magazine. But I, like, you know, the the magazine's coming up in a hundred years old. It'll be a hundred years old in two thousand twenty-two. Uh, so it's just to keep, um, you know, churning out. Really, 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 really good work, and I, I think we've responded well to uh, to COVID. I mean, mm. Boxing Monthly collapsed. You, you'll know Boxing Monthly. Boxing mm. Monthly collapsed early into COVID, uh, but we responded well and did a lot of things that the fans appreciated. And if I can keep doing that, I'll be quite happy. Brilliant, Tom. Uh, sincere thanks. It's just as I say, I, I, we'll. I think we're we're uh, we're about an hour and fifteen minutes in or so, and. Just when you mentioned uh, Pacquiao there, and then another ten questions or comments. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we'll do that uh, on that. On you can help me anything. Episode. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Uh, right, Tom. We'll finish it there. Uh, as I say, sincere thanks. That that's that's one of the most enjoyable chats I've had in, in a long time. So yeah, thank, thank you, mate. All right. Thank you. Speaking okay. about, I'll give you a call. Thank you very much. Take care. Yes, Bye, mate. Tom. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.